Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, I'm your host Norm, and this is Cardboard Conjecture. And on this episode, we're going to talk about some games of late. We're going to see what's trending, what's new, what's on the crowdfunding scene. And this topic episode, we're going to be talking about technology and board games. And here to lend some insight into that is my favorite Canadian media and tech journalist, Amber MacArthur. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They are the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. Hey there, welcome back. This is Norm and this is Cardboard Conjecture. Let's get to some games of late. And lately, I've been playing... uh, I finally, finally got to play Gaia Project and uh, designed by... Jens Dromuller and Helg Ostertag. My apologies if I said that incorrectly. And uh, published here in North America by Capstone Games. And I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Capstone, you're on fire. Awesome. Great, great games that you guys are putting out lately. So let's get to what okay, Gaia Project, uh, otherwise known as Terra, uh, uh, Terra Mystica in space. And... Um, now, here's the thing. I used to own Terra Mystica. My game group, it was way too much for them. Um, and uh, so it just didn't get played, so I, I, I sold it. And uh, now, Gaia Project, I've, I've done all my homework, and uh, a lot of people are saying that it's a, it's a streamlined, it's tightened up, um, the edges are, 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 are you know, sanded off a little bit uh, of, from the Terra uh, Mystica version. And uh, so, but for me, I, I'm a sucker for space. So um, I, uh, I, I, I got this going on the table uh, at our gamer's garage. Uh, Dave brought his copy. And, uh, and uh, basically, we went through the teach. And it was extensive because this is a pretty, pretty layered game. I, I mean, I, I'm, people say heavy, right? It, it all depends on, on the, the way, what kind of game you want to play. If you want to get into a... You know, if you want to sit down and watch uh, Lord of the Rings uh, with uh, with all of the uh, uh, director's cuts and watch the eight-hour version, sure, you can watch the eight-hour version, okay? Some people don't, okay? Um, so this game, Guy Project, is, in essence, um, uh, you're basically growing your, they call it um, uh, uh, factions or species or, you know, whatever asymmetric uh, uh, uh team that you want to play. I'm going to use the generic term team. Um, but there's a lot of options. Uh, the game basically is uh, kind of a, a Civ building-esque uh, expansion. There's uh, economy in it. Um, there's, there's territory building. Uh, the upgrade system is great. Uh, it's very much now I'm gonna go. It's very much like Scythe, but I mean everybody's borrowing from everybody now. But on your player board, you'll have uh, different areas of buildings that you can put out, and and each building is capable of upgrades and uh, either vertical upgrades or lateral upgrades. And these upgrades obviously generate different kind of resources. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, without getting it, without turning this into a review, um, I. I had so much going on in this game from uh, the perspective of my own faction, and and it was interesting. I had the I had a faction that was very different than everybody else's in regards to 
Um, there's achievements that you can get. I think I'm going to call them achievements, but when you get to a certain size of your, um, of your kind of terraforming uh, or civilization or, or quadrant to a certain amount of points, you get to, as, a, as an action, go get a, uh, an award. And this award has benefits, you know, really cool benefits because it can cascade into other things. But uh, mine was, was all, it had to be all connected. It was sort of like a hive mind kind of thing. And uh, it, the way that it interplayed with everybody else was so cool. I, I just want to play this game more. And that's, to me, that's a good sign because I have a lot of games that I need to get on the table. My shelf of shame is more of a bookcase of shame. <laughs> shame. So, um, yeah, Gaia Project. Um, now, I, I, speaking of... I'm debating whether or not, do I need my own copy? Because it plays solo. So, you know, hmm, that says a lot right there. So, yeah, very happy guy project. Um, if, you, uh, if, you, if you like those deeper, longer games, because this one plays uh, 60 to 150 minutes. <laughs> That's if you know exactly what move you want to make when you're supposed to make your move. <laughs> and plaid unicorns exist. So, uh, that being said, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm digging it. Digging Gaia Project. And uh, I might even so much as to say that I'm appreciating this more than Terra Mystica. But, again, the people that are cringing right now, I haven't played Terra Mystica enough to uh, have a good uh, appreciation for it. So, I do like this one. And I do like the way that, that the complexity was made more accessible to me. So... Yay. Thank you, designers. Um, let's move on to... Oh, yeah. I was so happy to get this game. Uh, big, big fan. Big Fister fan. So Alexander Fister put out a new game called Boone Lake. And uh, art by Clemens Franz. Clemens Franz, the standard Euro go-to artist. Uh, basically, it's so standard go-to that, that Clemens Franz in my opinion, created the look of the Euro that, that everybody kind of refers to. So um, that's, that's a nice feather in the cap. So um, Boone Lake, what is Boone Lake? Well, first of all, Alexander Pfister, uh, you know, um, uh, my favorite, Great Western Trail, uh, Maracaibo, uh, Mombasa, the, yeah. And I mean, um, uh, Newdale, there's so, yeah, he's... At, I mean, you could go on the Isle of Skye. A lot of really, really clever designs. Now, Boone Lake, as far as the theme goes, the best way that I can explain what Boone Lake is, think of all the people in the metropolis. Um, <laughs> think of all those Torontonians in the GTA, and uh, they just want to get out of this concrete jungle and escape to the lake and the, and the peace and the tranquility and set roots down, and so that's Boone Lake, right? So they basically, you're coming into this, this very um, laid-back environment where there's, there's potential for growth and expansion and farmland and cows and, and the old ways and, and the, the calm and the peaceful, tranquil floating down the river. Um, and uh, yeah, this is, as far as that theme goes, that's the way I'm taking it, right? You're, you're, and, and I don't know if Boone Lake is is the boon that you're trying to, you know, trying to bring to this environment, and in regards to the boon of wealth or the boon of growth, okay? I don't know. I'm taking it that way. So, uh, I mentioned in one of my uh, social media posts that this, to me, and this is always my perspective. So, you know, take it or leave it. Conjecture, right? Um, this is a conglomeration of a lot of cool things that I've recognized in a lot of the other games uh, that Alexander Fister's put out. So, I mean, I can immediately recognize Great Western Trail and Maracaibo in the, in the, um, the, the track system, right? So you've got this river flowing from the top right of the board, and it goes down. And in the first era, I guess, of the game... You, uh, you, hang a, you hang a left, and you make basically a circuit on the top half of the board, and you go back up. On the second era, 
you continue down and where you would have hung that left, you go straight down to the bottom of the board. Um, yeah, yeah, just much like Maracaibo, just much like Great Western Trail where you take it to the end and then you reset back to the original start line. Um, this is that DNA. Um, with tile laying, um, there's, some new ca- there's some new Dale in there where the card system uh, influences how the board activity goes, which influences the, 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 the rate in which you generate resources. And this idea of resources is really, I like how he approached it, that you're not having a, collect, a stockpile of resources in front of you. What you're able to do is, is the acreage that you're developing um, is able to generate a certain volume. And you have uh, little kind of um, industries, I would guess, or little cottage industries and, uh, of power one and power two. And then it's interesting how you have this variable ability to boost that using this kind of canoe system that flows up and down of, of assistance. And uh, so that connects to your ability to play cards to the table. Now, this is where we got completely trashed by Jordan because we were not. And this is all on us. You, know, the, you can't even claim that this, oh, this is broken. No, it was our gameplay that was broken because we weren't paying attention to another player who was putting down stacks of uh, um, decreasing costs of card play, which also connected to special projects, were the, which were the big points that you can get. So kudos to Jordan for, for, for finding this unique uh, flow. And of course, Dave had mentioned, oh yeah, that, that kind of approach is used in Maracaibo as well. So it's, uh, um, Jordan's very familiar with how Alexander Pfister efficiently uses card play as when we were not in this game. But we did learn that, yes, if you have cards in your hand that reduce the costs over the long period of this game, that will come into huge play because for the first part, uh, Jordan was, it seemed that he was falling behind, falling behind, but no, he wasn't. He was laying down this player tableau of, uh, I, can, I called it the teacher's epitome of cheapness because it got to the point where he could put cards down and it didn't cost him anything. So, <laughs> and I can say that because I'm a teacher. And just for, just for all you uh, people who want a, a good teacher joke coming from a teacher, what's the difference between a teacher and a canoe? A canoe tips. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. Hey, welcome back. I'm Norm. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Let's see what's trending as it relates to BGG. And uh, I'm pleasantly surprised and I'm so happy to talk about this game. And, uh, and I'm pleasantly surprised because this is a, a release from 2017. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's cranking on the hotness scale right now. And uh, it's trending for what reasons I don't know, but I do know that this is a fantastic game. And I'll tell you what it is. It's Summit the Board Game, uh, designed by Connor McGooey and uh, published by Inside Up Games. And Inside Up Games is a Canadian publishing company from Thunder, Thunder Bay, Ontario. There you go. There you go. Some good Canadian content there, eh? And uh, <laughs> um, I have this game. I own this game. This is a, this is a, a fantastic game. Uh, it's a race game. And it is solo. It is uh, cooperative. Or it is competitive. And uh, it has a variable uh, difficulty level that you can play depending on the, the cards that you put in, the event deck that you put in. And uh, like a, uh, I mean, okay, so what it is, is you are basically uh, mountain climbers summiting a uh, peak. And uh, 
There are intervals. There are paths. This is such a cool tile-laying game because it, uh, it's the first time, well, the first time that I've seen, not the first time that it's been done, but the first time that I've seen um, a tile-laying game that is in diamond-shaped form. And uh, this is, it was so interesting and unique because picture now a, a, uh, a grid pattern that is uh, ac accessible by diamond shapes. And uh, these diamond shapes were basically your rope knots and your path going ascending the mountain. And uh, from uh, like, and I've not that I've done mountain climbing, but I've done some good alpine hiking and required you know a lot of the times we're you know we're putting we're putting in belay systems because of uh, you know some some uh, terrain that is uh, that that needs some safety requirements. So um, the 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 most dangerous part is is coming down the mountain and you have to do that in this game. You got to make it to the bottom, right? For you to summit and come down, being alive means you've won. And uh, like a good, like any good cooperative game, there are so many ways that this mountain wants to take you out. And uh, I've played solo. I've played competitive. Oh, if you like cutthroat, <laughs> this is cutthroat to the point where, I mean, metaphorically speaking, you're cutting people's lines and they're falling off the mountain. It is, it can be brutal. And uh, what is really cool too is like every good kind of cooperative game that there are different roles. And in this case, you, uh, your climbers represent different countries that have different asymmetric powers. And your player board is so cool in regards to the tracks that you have to pay attention to in regards to your oxygen, your nutrition, your fatigue, your health. And uh, yeah, yeah, if you've not played this, um, give it a try if you have access to it. Um, or, uh, I mean, go on BGG and, and uh, look at some information and some videos and see if this is the game for you. But yeah, I, I enjoy it. It's uh, it's. Uh, I'm staring right at it in my live, in my collection right now. It's a fantastic game. So, yay! Good on Inside Up Games and Connor Magui. Hi. If you like the content we're creating and the podcast episodes we're producing, please leave a happy rating on the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and would also help others find our podcast when they search for board game podcasts. And if you have the time, check out our new YouTube channel where we have new content every few days. Just search Cardboard Conjecture on YouTube. Thanks, eh? All right, I am very happy to talk about this next game because I'm a big fan. Uh, this game is Now or Never. It is new. And uh, so Now or Never, uh, designed by Ryan Lockett and published by Red Raven Games. Um, it's, it's okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up for this one because uh, um, I have several, uh, you know, Empires of the Void 2. Um, I have... Uh, I have my favorite Grover game, Near and Far, and uh, uh, Above and Below. So I love what uh, uh, what Red Raven Games has been doing in regards to fusing this storytelling narrative with uh, with modern board game design. And uh, so to understand what's going on, uh, Ryan Lockett is what a what a great world builder as well um, with all these these races and all this. Uh, um, the feel, his artistic feel, uh, um, itches, scratches the itch in my brain. That's it's so awesome. So uh, I'm just going to read the description that uh, that is there, so that you can get a better, uh, so I can get a good understanding of what's going on here. So far to the south of the last ruin lies a cliffside village called the Monument. For generations, it protected an ancient shrine until the day a crystal meteorite descended. The meteor's denizens slowly crept out into the world. Bizarre monstrosities from nightmare attacking all in their path. As they spread across the land, there was no intelligent malice nor grand invasion strategy. The creatures acted like a fungus, spreading into new territory sporadically. After many fruitless attempts to expel the monsters, 
The people of the monument fled as their village crumbled, exiled to distant lands, resigned to a nomadic existence. Twenty years later, there are rumors that the bizarre monsters are growing weak. They're, uh, they're slower, less imper uh, imp <laughs> impervious to attack, some under uh, undergoing or gradual petrification until they crumble to dust. It is, the, uh, is it the atmosphere? Are they dying of old age? Do they suffer from a strange disease? No one is certain, but as, as the news spreads, various factions set their eyes on the vacant, ruined village of the monument. The original villagers, uh, now refugees, are desperate to return and rebuild, but they must do it quickly before someone else claims their home. This is their chance. It's now or never. <laughs> Wow, that was a. I, I hope I didn't fumble too badly through that uh, that narrative description. So here's the quick bumper: In now or never, you and up to three friends compete to best rebuild your ancestral village and guide the rest of the villagers on their journey home. Although the creatures of the meteorite have lost much of their strength, many of them remain and and must fight. Uh, you must fight them off to protect uh, traveling villagers. Now or never is the third game in the. Uh, Arzium storybook, a series that includes Above and Below and Near and Far. So, yeah, yes, uh, I am definitely interested, definitely want to, uh, I mean, there's, of course, the part of my brain is going, well, it's a trilogy. I gotta get it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, before that, there's Sleeping Gods that I have yet to play, and I'm here so many people talking such great things about it. So, um, yeah, I hope I get a copy of Sleeping Gods before this comes out because, um, yeah, this I have this one has to. First of all, I have to fizz, finish what I've uh, my campaign on uh, near and far, and uh, now uh, so that I can comfortably, without guilt, go into now or never. So, kudos, congratulations, Ryan Lockett and Red Raven Games. Um, that is now or never. All right, let's take a quick peek at seeing what's going on in the crowdfunding scene. And uh, yeah, here we go. Block by Block Uprising, designed by Greg Loring Albright and T.L. Simmons, published by Out of Order Games. And uh, yeah, I own the, uh, the, I think it's the second edition. And this is the, um, I think the, the re-releasing this uh, second edition with, a, with an expansion. But um, I'll read the description just so you get a... Uh, and I'll try to do a better job at it this time. Um, I'll read the description so you can get a, an understanding. But, but uh, it, it, it's... Uh, take back the streets of your city in the ultimate edition of the Insurrection game. So <laughs> kind of poignant for our times. Um, so in Block by Block Uprising, each player controls a faction of revolutionaries, workers, students, neighbors, or prisoners fighting against the police in the streets of a city that... Changes with each game. Build barricades, clash with police, occupy districts, loot shopping centers, build mutual aid networks, and liberate the city before time runs out and the military arrives. So the objective of the game, when uh, playing fully cooperatively, all factions win or lose together and must compete or cooperate to defeat the police and liberate the city. To liberate the city, each faction must control, uh, complete the objectives of one of the condition cards. And each condition card specifies certain districts of the city that must be liberated, liberated, and where occupations must be built. So, um, yeah, this uh, as far as a game that's uh, that's oh, black mirror, uh, black mirroring our society right now. Uh, it's interesting. Now, uh, here's you now. I'm, I, I always mention I'm a high school teacher. One of the reasons why I purchased this game. Oh man, a few years back is uh, uh, I teach sociology as well, and I thought that uh, this would be an interesting tool or mechanism to to uh, uh, begin discussion about why people, why societies uh, have movements or have changes, and what motivates these movements and changes. And uh, lo and behold, uh, we're we're it's we're living it, we're experiencing it, and uh, so. Yeah, uh, as far as the game goes, um, we could go off on, on, on talking about this, and it's, it is important that we're all aware and uh, cognizant of, of what's going on. But uh, as far as this game goes, 
it, it, it does a fantastic job of, uh, of creating uh, objectives, events, obstacles, strategies, uh, way to, ways to see solutions rather than ways to promote conflict. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I can't wait to see what they, uh, what they have in store with the, with the uprising part. Um, uh, what I'm seeing, though, is that there's, uh, there's added dimension to it, which is what a good expansion does, is it just puts more, uh, more meat on the bones or, 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 or it uh, adds more depth or more width to the game. So yay, well, well done. And uh, I've, I've yet to play enough of my copy to, to want to see where this can go more because I haven't, I haven't explored this game enough. So uh, I think I'm, that's going to be on my menu of getting this back to the table so that when uh, Uprising does hit the shelves, I, uh, I'm all aware of why I'm going to need it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, block by block Uprising on the crowdfunding scene. This episode is supported by the incredible team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team to ensure their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer, new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Board Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. And we're back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. Uh, we're going into our topic, and our topic for this episode is technology and board games. And I am so happy and uh, privileged to have on the show a uh, tech journalist specialist, Amber MacArthur. Welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And uh, so before we get into diving into the topic I'm going to present for us, uh, just a big, a quick background. Uh, like I said, uh, studied journalism. Uh, you were a tech columnist for CBC News World. Uh, I started seeing you on Call for Help because uh, <laughs> as, uh, as, as my uh, brain remembers, this is the same time I was studying for uh, my master's in educational technology and instructional design. And uh, you were always talking about apps and technology that I was able to take the architecture of the idea and apply it to an educational perspective. So uh, I basically ripped off a lot of your suggestions for the classroom. <laughs> um, so, and from that, you went to uh, App Central, uh, BNN, like the Business News Network. And, uh, and uh, again, uh, all of your information and suggestions and website uh, um, you know, um, ideas and overviews allowed me to introduce UX design into my classroom from that idea of student, student learning styles and uh, teacher methodology. So thank you so much for <laughs> bringing that into my life, that idea of user experience. And um, so background, I'm, I'm, oh, every guest that comes on, I want to hear your origin story when it comes to board games. Well, you know, I grew up in um, rural Prince Edward Island, so even though you gave me uh, lots of credit for my technology uh, experience and uh, years as a journalist, uh, the truth is I grew up very disconnected from technology, so I lived in... Um, a very large, uh, older kind of almost a, a farmhouse in the middle yeah. of the country. And we had a, a party line. If people aren't familiar <laughs> with that, that meant you could pick up the phone and, and listen in on other conversations. And so you can only imagine that um, with uh, not too many nearby neighbors and not <laughs> a lot of ways to stay connected, we did play a lot of board games. And uh, in fact, you know, if I think back to all of the family uh, dinners we had together, I mean, very often there was some type of game played. Like mm -hmm. Yahtzee was a big um, popular game that my family played, uh, Trivial Pursuit uh, for decades. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, always, uh, uh, always a, a winner at the table, Scrabble. I spent many, many hours playing Scrabble with my grandmother and the list kind of goes on. So uh, I think when you grow up in a, a rural area like that and you create your own fun and board games certainly were at the center for a lot that we did. 
Oh, that's awesome. Because everything you touched on is kind of where I want to go with this idea of technology. Because um, when I was, as mentioned, when I was uh, uh, getting, getting ready to be an educational technologist, um, I stumbled upon an individual named Ursula Franklin. And she basically honed my perspective as an educator for, I've been teaching for like 20, oh, 25 years now. Oh, that's old. But <laughs> she, she, that, she honed, she basically gave me that compass direction, right? And so, because, um, I mean, everybody thinks technology is all about, all about the, 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 the toys, right? So uh, I'll just quickly give a background because she's incredible. She needs, she needs to be recognized and she has so much uh, credentials. So Governor General's Award, for promoting uh, quality for girls and women in Canada. She won the Pearson Medal of Peace for uh, advancing human rights, and she's in, uh, inducted into the Canadian Science and Inger Engineering Hall of Fame. And uh, her idea uh, about technology is that it, the essence of how it influences or affects political and, and social life. And for her, this is the phrase that changed me as a, as a teacher. Um, and for her, technology was more than machines, gadgets, and electronic transmitters. It was a comprehensive system that includes methods, procedures, organization, and most of all, mindset. And um, to me, that was, that it was interesting. It was a step backwards in order to look two miles ahead for me. Um, have you heard of Ursula Franklin at all? I have. I, I don't know a lot uh, about her, but I've definitely heard about her. And, and you know, it, it's interesting. I, I think what uh, you had just said in terms of talking about some of her writings, that um, you're exactly right. You know, I think oftentimes we approach technology in a way where we get right into kind of the, the speeds and uh, um, into all of the sort of technical specifications. And I have always been one of those people over the years, you know, whether it was at G4 Tech TV mm -hmm. Or App Central, who kind of felt as though I was able to kind of zoom out a little bit and look at the impact of technology in in just a different way. And um, I think that's always been important. And I would argue, you know, and I'm sure that Ursula <laughs> would agree with this. You know, when she talks about um, mindset, you know, just this idea of a learn it all mindset and and the belief that we can use technology as a tool to really push humanity further. Yeah, yeah. So. To, to, to jump from there now for me that's that's where I want to go with this that that technology isn't about uh, uh, the gizmos it's about how you your perspective right and for me when I look at media as as from my perspective as a as a educational technologist um, it comes down to it's there to entertain it's there to inform and it's there to educate and um, I think uh, from your angle and, and what you just kind of uh, told me about that uh, mindset uh, area, what's your take on that, on, on those three areas as far as uh, um, the, the abstraction of media? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think this is especially true when we think about the learning environment, which clearly you know uh, a lot more about than I do. But as someone who's written a book on, in terms of healthy screen time and yeah. uh, technology habits for families, one of the things I've always focused on is uh, really those kind of pillars that it is about uh, entertainment, information, and education. And I've always believed, and maybe I've presented it in a different way, that uh, when we talk about the next generation growing up, mm -hmm. it's really more about creation than consumption in, in some respects. And I've always loved thinking about technology in terms of the creation element. Uh, yes, it's good to be able to sit back and kind of consume content or be entertained, but when you can actually create and uh, through that process learn, I think that's when we get really the best outcome in terms of technology usage among younger people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and okay, so uh, from our you know communications back and forth, I, I learned that you're a parent as I as am I, <laughs> and um, I think for me at least, becoming a parent was that idea of my responsibility now to teach my children this idea of empathy, this idea of being able to um, look at other people and connect with them face-to-face uh, -face rather than through a screen. And um, it's, it's, I think it's an important thing that we're starting to, and being a high school teacher, everybody's face is in their phone. And I think board gaming is a 
a technological tool that's going to remind us and allow us, like you said in, in the beginning part of growing up, that it's an, it can be an intergenerational connection. You spoke about playing with your grandmother. Well, there's going to be stories that are passed back and forth while you're playing this game that is, to me, essential for uh, uh, what we need in life as far as that mindset goes. So yeah. I think you're exactly right. You know, nothing makes me happier than when I watch my 13 year old son every Thursday after school, head over to a friend's house with um, three or four of his uh, closest friends from school and um, they play D and D. And uh, it's amazing to watch yeah. this because this is a, you know, a, a game, uh, an adventure game that uh, my brother played when he was younger. <laughs> and what I love about it is that um, they figured out a way to, play D&D, &D, um, but they also have figured out how to do that virtually and use mm -hmm. technology in interesting ways uh, along the way. And, and that physical space, that time that they're together and they're kind of working through things, I think it's really fascinating to, to watch them because it's a whole different skill set than, let's say, if they were playing Fortnite. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I just... You know, this is the type of uh, experience that I want my son to have more of, because again, to your point, uh, I think what we're seeing is that um, there's a bit of an erosion of social skills that oh. is happening in the world due to the impact of too much screen time and isolation. And and this whole idea of of confirmation bias and and yeah, um, the you spoke you mentioned D and D, uh, and I had a big smile pop on my face because. I, okay, Geek Alert, I, I DM two groups, uh, the, <laughs> and uh, and one of them is, is friends of mine from back in the 90s when we were in university, and uh, what what I think, and, and we hadn't played for such a long time, and we went, we, you know, had families, and when the pandemic hit, um, I th immediately, um, I thought of the importance of, of maintaining that connection, even if it was through a video screen, that the empathy or this idea of looking at another person while you're, and in this case, D&D, while you're collaboratively creating story and, um, and sharing. And I thought that I, I restarted this and sent it out and they said, yes, I need this so much right now. And um, go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's really interesting because I think you know, just pulling back a little bit, when we talk about technology and screen time and um, all the different tools that we have uh, to our disposal in many ways, it's really gotten kind of a bad rap because I think, unfortunately, people see screen time, especially among young people, as something that, uh, again, is, is always a negative experience. Mm -hmm. But I've always believed that you can steer people in the right direction. And so it's important to understand um, those moments where, again, children are able to learn or even adults are able to learn uh, or relearn those social skills to, you know, be able to improve things like uh, empathy, um, social emotional learning, all of those things mm -hmm. becomes so critical during that process. So uh, to me, you know, it requires a lot of effort on behalf of parents, really, quite frankly, to really kind of guide their kids in the right direction. Yeah. Well, there's uh, um, Dr. Jody Carrington talks about that idea of emotional regulation, where you you have to be able to uh, introspectively understand um, how you're behaving and and in regards to the you know connecting with other people. And I've always thought that board games um, are, are allow this emotional regulation to happen because you're now solving a problem or you're now working collaboratively to do something rather than. You know, you're you're engaging that logic side of your brain, which which as the brain works, it's either logical or emotional kind of thing. So, um, that what have you experienced with this idea of of like gaming face to face? Because I remember one person um, said that uh, when they were asked what's what's so interesting about board games, and he said. Because people are interesting. <laughs> 
I think that's right. You know, one of the things I always try to do in my home is when we're playing a board game, whether it's a Monopoly or Scrabble or another game, is to, um, if there's enough people, to actually work in pairs. And and the reason I say that is I, I, I don't know the psychology behind mm-hmm. this necessarily, but I do love this idea that when you're working through these problems, whether like you say, it's, you know, uh, solving a problem that's on the board in front of you, when you're working alongside someone and it's less of that kind of, you know, one-to-one competition, I have found, at least in my house, it tends to lead to happier outcomes <laughs> and uh, more collaboration. And like you said, just learning how to work together. So to me, that's just so critical throughout this process. And, and it's something that I've focused on a lot with my son and with my family in general. Yeah. Um, I have, a, I'm, as we're communicating back and forth, I have a son, a 16-year-old son who has Down syndrome and we play games all the time, and I and I witness, uh, and because I'm a teacher, I always look at everything from from how does the person learn, how do I able, how am I able to teach this to connect with them, and then how am I able to evaluate the success of that. So when I'm working playing a game with my son, um, even the idea of losing is an empathetic moment to understand that that's going to happen in life. You can't. There's no way that you can go on your whole life without experiencing losing something. And um, I finding that we, even with my, with my daughter who has <laughs> got this competitive thing, I don't know where she got it from, <laughs> but just the idea of, of like that emotional regulation going, you don't have to flip the table. You can, you can be thankful that you had this experience and then you can, can congr- congratulate the other people at the table because they have feelings too. Right. So I think it's, it's something that, that this the screen time and i'm not, and i'm not a luddite right i mean i love my tech but i find it it's a tool and it's and it shouldn't be what's pulling our nose down the trail it should be allowing us to experience the trail yeah absolutely and i also think too is that um you know some games are better than others. Like yeah. I, I have to tell you that historically in my family, and I think this happened from the time I was little and we started playing Monopoly. Um, this is one of those games that, you know, yeah, the, the flipping of the, the board, um, the focus uh, on capitalism, mm-hmm. um, the mortgaging of their houses. I mean, it all leads to these really negative yeah. endpoints. And so- That's- no disrespect to Monopoly because I, I realize there are positive things like my son learns how to do some simple calculations, but I tend to shy a little bit away from some of those games that mm-hmm. uh, in our family don't necessarily go anywhere good. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, I mean, in the advent of this, this renaissance of, of board games, um, as you can see behind me, there's, a, a, there's a lot of choices. Um, I really appreciate the, the new, um, uh, a collaborative or cooperative games that have come out where it's the game that's trying to eliminate all the players and the players themselves must learn to synergistically connect to beat the game because there's only one way you can win and there's probably seven ways you can lose. And I find those games just as, and even at school and board game club or, or just, you know, presenting this to the kids go, Hey, try this out. And then watching them, like synergistically connect and, and, and see the game as the villain rather than each other as the villain. Yeah. Because I I think what ends up happening, I think you're right throughout that process is that, um, you know, there are these points of frustration and then you have to kind of work through these moments. And um, anytime you get a board game that focuses more and more on collaboration, which is why I've always emphasized kind of working together as teams. Uh, I do believe that there's more opportunity to be able to learn skills along the way in terms of those social skills and and uh, focusing more on the collaboration versus the competitiveness. Yeah. Now, listen, you know, I grew up with a father who was super competitive <laughs> and uh, many of us did. So I get how that helps you to create thicker skin and, and all of those benefits. But I do believe that we're in such a, a difficult time in our history right now mm-hmm. that um, we do need different skills to be able to approach this future that is quite frankly, you know, riddled with chaos. Yeah. Yeah. The, well, and I keep coming back to this idea of empathy, this idea of, of um, instead of facing the, the black mirror, face another person's eyes right like make a connection and i think that's and again this whole idea of technology it's the mindset we have to look at what we're doing or look at how we're using our time with each other 
and see if that's the right way we're using our time? I don't know. What do you think? I think that's right. I mean, we all know that there's a, a lot that happens when you have eye contact with other people. So if you're physically in the same room, um, again, we can see those subtle cues that perhaps yeah. an individual is, you know, experiencing discomfort or maybe they're, you know, emotionally distraught, whatever that might be. And, and we do really lose all of that um, when we are communicating through screen. So I think just reinforcing once again, though, that human connection mm -hmm. and, um, and allowing people to sort of learn how to be empathetic throughout that process is absolutely key. I mean, you know, if you think about social media in general, it's not really a, a world that uh, is strong when it comes to empathy, right? Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a mud flinging contest sometimes. <laughs> It really is. And, and I think what ends up happening is that there's no accountability. Mm -hmm. There's no sense of any type of, uh, you know, um, uh, anyone who can kind of uh, come after you or do anything to you. It's just this place where people are sort of anger, angry and they're, they're fueled by anger. And unfortunately, uh, it ends up, uh, you know, being somewhat of a cesspool at times. And, and I think when you focus on sort of that human interaction and, and yeah. focus more on collaboration, we get a totally different outcome. Well, I, I, as you're talking about the, the, the anger and everything, I started smiling because it, I, a thought came to my head and it was that whole idea of, would you say that if your grandmother was sitting beside you, right? And that's that yeah. whole idea about sitting at a board game is you, you, you need to engage filters. You need to learn that there is this process of, of, of filtration or this, this empathy or this, this idea of social connection. And um, I mean, there's technology there to help us and there's technology there to hinder us. So I, I always teach my students that you need to, you know, um, um, understand where the message is coming from too. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's so important not to, dismiss all of the benefits of technology because of some bumps along the way. Yeah. Uh, because I'll be honest with you, I mean, that's one of the biggest criticisms that I have about technology in general is people kind of roll their eyes at, um, you know, the re the potential uh, realities of technology ruining humanity and they latch onto these doomsday scenarios <laughs> of Terminator-like scenes. Yeah. And um, that's just not helping us get anywhere. And, and I think also, you know, my early experience, I worked at a a web design company and I worked uh, on the user experience team. So uh, focusing on usability and how people would flow through websites and, and their whole experiences. And I think, you know, even for me at the time, I mean, that was a great exercise to kind of understand how to make that process kind of frictionless. Whereas yeah. I think some of the technology that we see today and not to get too off track, but it's been designed, um, you know, with algorithms in mind to create friction. And, and that ends up leading to a society today that is not going anywhere good fast. <laughs> yeah, there's more competitiveness than collaboration, so. Yes, yeah. yes, there really is. And, and I think, you know, what ends up happening is that, um, you know, if we focus more on that collaboration, I feel as though there's just a, a, a better opportunity for us to be able to solve big problems, right? You know, no yeah. one can solve anything in isolation. And I mean, that's probably why you're, you know, talking on your show all the time about uh, board games, because this is not something that anyone does in isolation, right? And just the nature of playing is reinforcing some of those positive habits that can get us to a better place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm so happy that, uh, that we, we, we got to geek out a little bit and talk about tech and <laughs> cardboard. Um, but before we round this out, um, quickly, how can people um, follow you or find out what you're doing? Well, super easy to follow. You can head on over to ambermac.com. I also do a weekly newsletter on Tuesdays at ambermac.com slash newsletter. Totally free, no strings attached if you want to sign up. And, uh, you know, my brother actually should be on your show because he's the real uh, board game nerd. So, uh, well, you send him the invite. <laughs> I will for sure. He's awesome. He would geek out uh, with you forever. He is so, so much of a nerd that he has a, an Instagram account for his kids where they just share what board games they're playing. So it's part of really how I grew up, like I mentioned off the top awesome well i hope that uh I've, I've maybe convinced some people that technology sometimes is just the cardboard in front of you and the people 
participating in it. So thank you so much, Amber. Um, I'm so glad that you uh, found the time to come and chat on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show and uh, keep up the great work. Hey, welcome back. Uh, I had so much fun talking with Amber about technology and kind of flipping the tables a little bit and, and, and looking at technology, not from uh, the, the gadgets and gizmos perspective, but from the mindset and, and, and how, we, how we think about things. So, but can't talk about technology and board games without actually talking about technology in board games. And uh, I'm going to take a, a quick moment here to uh, go through some games that, that, are, that use apps or use technology as part of the game. And, and uh, when I was doing my homework, I kind of made a quick categorization, because that's how my brain works, um, that there, for me there's about th three domains of, of technology in board games or board games that use technology. And, and one of them is uh, this idea in education we have called Guide on the Side, where it's it's basically a narrator or or it's that taking of the rules so there's a lot of games where uh that part like werewolf where you, i mean it takes the role of that guide and brings you through the game just from a narration point of view uh there's also the the technology that is your admin assistant uh like there's third-party apps developed for gloomhaven that clean up a lot of the uh, minutia of of the of what's required in the game and it's appreciated by a lot of people and then the last one is um is the, basically the technology as a game mechanism and i'm 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 looking at you lucky duck games with your qr coding Br absolutely brilliant okay um uh, so let's uh let's go in and uh i'm i'm going to um key off of the uh the list that is generated uh, by, I'm trying to find the author here, but it's a, uh, a list called Components Digital Hybrid App Website Required. And if I can quickly find the author of this, I'll let you know, because we, we need to give kudos to the people who do their homework. Well, I can't seem to find who uh, is responsible for, for curating such a wonderful list, but thank you so much. Um, now, so right on the top of this list, they have uh, uh, Mansions, of, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. Uh, I'm going to put a, a, a kind of a, a grouping in here. So we have Mansions of Madness. We have Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle-Earth. We have, uh, we have this, the Star Wars version of <laughs> that mechanism. Um, and uh, so there's, there's those types of... And Descent, uh, um, the, the latest Descent, where that app is the functioning, driving, story, narrative... Uh, a device that shows you tile placement, uh, explains to you, it becomes the overlord. <laughs> in, in the Descent uh, second edition that I have, not the, not the, 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 the big, huge uh, steamer trunk uh, version that's coming out, uh, that is out now, but uh, it takes the role of, from the past, you had to have a person play the overlord or the dungeon master. Um, in this case, uh, it basically lets the app drive that. So there's, there's those apps that, uh, that work with those games. Um, there's a game here, Alchemist from 2014, that I've never played before. And I've, I've always been curious because what it does, um, and again, this could, be, this could be cardboard generated, but they have an app doing this that as an alchemist, you're putting all these different chemicals and different components together and, and you're brewing something or you're, you're concocting something. And um, what the app does is it tells you if it's successful or not successful or if there's a tragic consequence. So that's kind of cool. Um, Search for Planet X, I've not, 2020. I've not played that one, so I can't really comment on how the, there's any kind of technology integration on there. There's probably people that are like, oh, it does this. I can't hear you. Um, so moving on, uh, Detective, a modern crime, a modern crime board game. Uh, this is Portal Games, and uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about this one because it's actually a website. You you log on to the internet, 
And through this website and through linking um, information uh, through this uh, media, uh, you are basically solving crimes and, and finding clues. So I think that is a very cool way. Now, uh, I've heard a lot of people it, it said, this is, uh, this is like a game where you're all sitting in a conference room and everybody has a role, and one role of the person is, is you're the researcher on, online taking care of that. So, uh, yeah, um, my favorite uh, connection to this is Chronicles of Crime. Like I said, Lucky Duck Games, they came up with this uh, QR code architecture of, of driving and linking information and, and having that information be the substructure for the narrative or the the storyline going on. So um, I'm loving everything that they're putting out that's connected with Chronicles of Crime. There, are, there were some expansions. Of, uh, I think it's Red View. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, uh, where Archie meets Stranger Things. And uh, um, and again, each each iteration or each story uh, um, kind of version that comes out has a different twist to how they're using this QR code system. So they're not they're not basically uh, you know, cranking out uh, a whole bunch of uh, um, different themes based on one idea, mecha- mechanical idea. No, they're, they're trying to find variances and, and trying to find different ways that you can uh, um, drive this QR system. Um, and then they came up with uh, uh, four expansions uh, of different eras and starting in, the, I believe, in the Middle Ages and working their way through. And uh, I've not played those yet because I still want to get through what I got in the Chronicles of Crime stuff. So, yeah, and I and I and I, you got to quickly talk about Destinies, which is their their dungeon diver version. So I have Destinies, and again, I'm partially way into it, through it, and uh, yeah, love every minute of it. Uh, Forgotten Waters uh, is on this list. I've not played Forgotten Waters, but I understand too that there it's it's this narrative driven storyline, and I think Forgotten Waters. Uh, probably would appeal to me because it has that fantasy adventure groove to it. Um, let's talk about the uh, the unlocked or the escape room series stuff because they use apps and a lot of the apps they use are for timers or for for clue storage or clue giving. So there's that function of it. Like I said, the the admin assistant, um, XCOM, the board game. Uh, I, I'm going to go on a conjecture limb here, and I think XCOM was one of the earlier games that attempted app integration and I'm not too sure what depths they went at it but uh, it's 2015 and uh, so yeah you, you gotta like the people that are pushing the pushing the boundaries of what you can do uh, as I mentioned Descent Legends of the Dark um, that yeah that's that whole idea of that being the 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 game master driving the game for you uh, Werewords uh, or, and Werewolf and all that old series of, of having the, the narrator and, and music and that whole soundscape leading you through the story. Um, uh, quickly moving down some more. Um, I'm going, there's Stop Thief, uh, the, uh, the, the, the wonderful reiteration of Restoration Games. Uh, and Stop Thief, I remember Stop, I played Stop Thief when it first came out. And uh, it was like, and again, I'm going to say, it was like that handheld game Merlin, which nobody remembers. <laughs> and uh, so, it, yeah, it was basically, uh, for the time, just beeps and, 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 and sounds to uh, interpret. Now, Stop Thief can give it absolute credit to technology driving this system. So wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Before I close this section out here, I just want to... Uh, Bring some a little bit more attention to Lucky Duck Games and that uh, that and it's their, their their architecture. It's not just the QR code. They do a lot of uh, of augmented reality um, and uh, VR stuff where you look through your phone with a, with a, either a set of glasses uh, uh, sold by Lucky Duck Games or you can uh, get one of those headset pieces. And you basically, like Oculus, move around the environment and look at and describe the environment out loud to the other players at the table. And you could take turns, but here's the thing, though. If you investigate the scene too long, you take time off your clock. And uh, so I just love how they're working this app technology into their, into their uh, games. And I believe 
they should continue with that because they're onto something really cool here. And uh, I'm going to keep following what's going on with them. So that being said, we're at the end of our episode. And I, I am so thankful for you uh, listeners who uh, take the time to to hear what banters I have about board games. And thank you so much to Amber MacArthur for uh, taking the time to come on and talk to us, geek out with us about board games and technology. So thank you very much. I'm your host, Norm, and we'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek Guild number 3039.